0: It's so good to see you Dr. Bach. <laughs> I haven't seen you in forever. I know. Well, I figured it would be a great time to interview you because it's Lyme disease awareness month and, you know, uh-huh. it all it all is good information especially coming from my doctor. <laughs>
1: Generally, how do you contract Lyme disease? Well, Lyme disease is is, um, an old term. It's really tick-borne disease because Lyme disease denotes uh, infection by the Lyme bacteria Borrelia. But we usually look at tick-borne disease as a, a bunch of other vectors called Bartonella, Babesia, Anaplasmosis, Ehrlichia, certain viruses. So the way that you get a vector-borne disease is mainly from a tick, but also with the other infections, you can get them from other vectors like fleas and mosquitoes and different things like that. So it doesn't have to be from a tick, but the most common is a tick.
0: I mean, right now, you know, one of the things that I get a lot is how did you get Lyme disease in California? There are no ticks here, which I think is, a common misunderstanding because...
1: Yeah, you know, tick-borne diseases throughout the whole United Mm -hmm. States. And I I saw an infectious Mm -hmm. disease that said that there's no um, tick-borne relapsing fever in California. And then I pulled out some articles that showed it was rampant. So there's different people in different fields who have different opinions, (laughs) but really basically if you look at the data from CDC, in um, okay, you look <laughs> at the data in uh, 2013, There was three hundred thousand new cases of Lyme a year. Yeah. Now the, the data that just came out this year is four hundred seventy six thousand new cases. That's so crazy. it's really in in increasing.
0: And you could have it and not know. I think the another common misunderstanding is that if you. People are like, well, I never had a rash. I never had a bullseye bullseye rash. The first time I got bit, if I got bit, um, I never I never knew I had it, and I never had a bullseye rash. So,
1: yeah, you know, sometimes less than fifty percent of people, even more so in kids, don't don't find the rash. So first of all, fifty five percent of people may not see a tick bite. Then, if you get a tick bite. Uh, and you get the rash, that's pathognomonic, then you have the disease, but 50% of people don't get the rash. So basically, tick-borne disease is a clinical diagnosis, and um, I can't stress that enough. All the time I see people in the office that come in suspecting uh, tick-borne disease, Lyme disease, and they they went to a cardiologist, and they went to a neurologist, and they went to their primary care, and they went to immunologist, And I call them the usual suspects because they're looking at their isolated thing and they say, well, no, the test is negative. Um, First of all, one of the big fallacies with the test is they do an ELISA test, which is 49% sensitive. And then they won't do a Western blot if that's negative. But I don't do that. I do the ELISA and the Western blot plus other other tests. But I constantly, uh, when I lecture, or tell patients you know, if you have the symptoms and you have a negative test, you know, you have to make sure you don't have uh, Lyme disease. And often I'll treat a patient with just the symptoms. They don't have to have a positive test. And then they'll come back a couple of weeks later and they will be 50% better on whatever treatment I did, whether it be antibiotics, herbals, ozone, you know, just depending.
0: Well, I think that, that's also like, um, I feel like by the time people get to you, they've already seen multiple doctors. I mean, wouldn't you say? Because nobody assumes that it's going to be Lyme disease. It's, you know, it's, you go to, a, you think it's fibromyalgia. You think like, you know, I thought it was neuro because I was getting migraines and tremors and things like that. I also went to cardiologists because I had postural orthostatic tachycardia. The last thing that I was diagnosed with was Lyme disease, which was after seeing 19 different specialists. So, and um, I'm assuming that when you see people, they're sick.
1: Yeah, you know, and I go over their whole history and I go over everything that the specialist said. So in, in a way I have the advantage because I don't have to be the first one seeing a real different, and sometimes I am, but I mean, if someone comes in with, you know the specialist said, you know, well, look you have fibromyalgia, that's it and then you go to uh, infectious disease and he says, well, I don't know what you have, but you don't have Lyme. That's a common thing. Um, what happens is, it's interesting. I, I, I see a lot of complex problems, but lately this spring, I've been seeing a lot more of people who just mm-hmm. have a bite or, or just you know, had contact with ticks, but they're not happy with where they're going. So for instance, IDSA says that if you have a tick bite, you take two capsules of doxycycline. That's a faulty study. ILADS believe three weeks for a a tick bite that's been on for a certain amount of time, you know, and is engorged. And, you know, you have to ask the questions. It's not just if it's crawling on your skin and you get three weeks of antibiotics that, you know, that's not appropriate. But I had this uh, mother who brought in her child and had a tick bite that was on for two days. And so she went to urgent care and they gave a week of antibiotics. I didn't understand this at all. So, either you go with the IDSA and you do two and, and you have that philosophy, or you go with iLabs and you give three weeks. But giving a week, you know, even the, mo- the mother just said, I'm, ca- I'm going to call Dr. Bach because and I said, of course, you know, a week is not enough. You know, had a, a bite that was on for two days, it was engorged, it's got to be on antibiotics. For three weeks because when you leave Lyme and and it's been there for a while it's harder to treat but it's so it's so much easier to treat in the beginning
0: so if I had not known would I would I have been able to get treated right away and like not yeah,
1: have it sure no you know as long as you treat the Lyme <clears throat> it's real treatable when it's first discovered Now yeah, the only thing is you can't always assume that it's just Lyme. So if you treat Lyme and they and someone doesn't get better, well, did they have Babesia or Bartonella transmitted in the tick? So those gets treated by different antibiotics or different treatments. Sometimes the tests aren't aren't showing up, but they have the symptoms. You know, if you have if someone has you know cardiovascular symptoms, pots, chills, fevers, certain kind of headache, chest pain, anxiety that can be a Babesia picture, Bartonella is is a different kind of picture, Bartonella can be like Lyme disease, but more neurological, different kind of headache, goes to the GI tract, as does Lyme, But, but Bartonella particularly causes GI symptoms, swollen glands, ocular or eye problems, heart problems, as can Lyme, you know, so it's just important to, Assess all the symptoms someone's having. Rule out: Is there anything causing it? Is there a suspect of a tick-borne disease? And then get the testing, and then decide what kind of treatment and support for their body you're going to do. It's 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 it's, it's basically uh, a lot of times detective work. Yeah. But you have to. Yeah. You, you you know it's kind of an oxymoron in our medical system, which is like seven minute medicine, you know, and just get the symptom and say, okay, you know, and then you look at a test, you know, a lot of the doctors coming out now, they're so dependent on tests that they don't use their brain or their knowledge about stuff. They just, you know, test is negative for Lyme. They just say, nope, you have all those symptoms, but it's not Lyme. I don't know what it is.
0: So you're having all these symptoms and then you kind of start having anxiety that nobody will believe you, which kind of adds on to all that. Like, what do you tell somebody like a patient or, it's, it's weird when I talk to people about Lyme disease and they're having multiple symptoms, I'm like, I don't wanna say go get tested for Lyme disease, but part of me is like, go get tested for Lyme disease because it's a, it's a like you said, a clinical thing and there's so many different yeah. symptoms.
1: Well, yeah, you almost feel like, I don't know if you watch television, but I was watching this commercial that's been on lately with progressive insurance when they're on the beach. I don't know if you saw that. Yeah, yeah. And the people say, well, I'd love to be able to bundle. And she goes, yeah, bundle. You know, so sometimes <laughs> I, you have to, you know, sometimes it becomes so clear when you hear these symptoms, you want to say to someone, you know, look, you should think about this, you know, And but then someone will go back to the doctor and the doctor will say, you know it's, it's not lying. Don't, you know, don't worry about it. So people sometimes have to hear it multiple, multiple times, you know, like that.
0: I also, I mean, even, I mean, from the first time we met and I came into your office to now, I'm in a very different place. You know, I was very sick when I first saw you. Um, but I still call you. We still, I still have issues. I still have flares. I still have stuff going on. I mean, not not comparatively to what it was six years ago. But another thing is like, I feel like there are people in my life who find that hard to believe because I look a certain way, I'm walking, you know but they don't believe that Lyme is an ongoing thing. It just never, it doesn't just go away all of a sudden. And so what do you say? Like, how do you you explain that to people?
1: Well, that's just the nature of the disease. And and it's unfortunate, you know, I I was on a a recent um, program that was a joint um, project between the the government and one of the foundations for Lyme, and it was called Lyme X. And it was uh, a whole bunch of, you know, um, conferences and, and kind of everybody pooling their information and there were patients on and there were doctors on and stuff and one of the biggest um things was that people don't listen you know that someone's been to see 20 doctors and they don't listen but it was interesting because now this was a government sponsored program that's looking for what kind of research should they put in what kind of initiatives should they put in to change the whole scope and the thing happening in Lyme so I think it's I think with the internet and Zoom and with the connectedness, that kind of feeling that you, you're finding, which is common, will be changing because you know, people got on there just expressing what you're saying. You know, Like I went to 20 doctors and how come nobody did this? I wanna know why they're not doing research to tell primary care and educate them more about Lyme disease so they don't just say to the patient, you know, it's in your head. That's, I mean, I get, I get doctors who say that after um, I treat somebody and then they're better and they go back and uh, the doctor will say, I don't believe you had Lyme. You know, what did I have? I I went on this program and I'm better. I don't know. You're just better. You know, it's, it's uh, it's funny.
0: And more importantly, what do you think about diet as far as helping, you know, your journey on like getting better? Like, do you think that it plays an important part?
1: Oh, oh yeah. You know, of course, you know, what you take into your body depends on how your body is gonna be working. So uh, particularly with Lyme disease, I I find the biggest offender is refined carbohydrates and sugar, that's the worst. Lyme just likes sugar and it can flare up next, uh, and you know, and then it depends on a. Person's particular system, but wheat and milk can sometimes be bad. Then a lot of times uh, you can develop with Lyme, like a beef allergy if you don't develop the antibody to a protein in the beef called alpha-gal. And then also you can have food allergies developed after you've been your immune system has been impacted by Lyme disease. So you always have to check out foods in a lot of ways. You know, you have to make sure that some people don't get stimulated with Lyme on a inflammatory or a mast cell basis, like mast cells make histamine. So if you get into a histamine state, you can get a secondary kind of symptoms from the Lyme. So you have to maybe be on low histamine foods. Some people react to lectins, which are grains. Some people have candida, they have to stay away from yeast. So, you know, you always have to look at Lyme Uh, in the person who has it and what they have to do in their diet, but always, you know, fortifying their their immune system with, you know, targeted supplements, staying away from uh, sugar, like I said, is always important and eating eating organic. And so so you're not subjected to toxins and pesticides and uh, glyphosate things that further, you know, affect your system
0: all of those things are hard to do. I do them, obviously, like I'm all organic. I don't eat gluten or dairy, but to go from just being able to eat what you want. And then I also developed allergies to nuts and see like the most random things. Um, so it's a really hard thing to do. And, um, back then Dr. Rabar put me on liquid diets all the time. So like, I always, always ate soup. And so is there a reason is, is soup easier to digest or like, I mean, he just, I mean, it's really what started my business, but he literally kept putting me on a soup diet. And I, I'm assuming it was just to clean yeah, up. No,
1: body. I think soups are great, you know, because everything's, you know, very assim, uh, easy to assimilate and nutritious and, you know, if you're using organic food. So I think soup's great. I love soups, you know
0: there's not one treatment that you can recommend for each patient, right? Like everybody is different. Like, so there's not like two patients that, that are alike that have the same treatment there. You're always kind of having to adjust to that person particular.
1: In fact, that's probably the biggest thing I see on the internet is somebody who knows about Lyme or has Lyme telling somebody else what they should do, because I, I really tell people I don't treat Lyme I treat the person who has Lyme disease and, and how they present. And, and what I do when I look at someone, um, I look at I look at all of us like a vesicle, and our vesicle fills up, you know, and as we go through life, you know, we want to keep it kind of halfway filled up so that we have room and reserve and and transform our life. But if that vesicle, which is like, let's say, uh, as you lay the vesicle, you have nutrition, you have toxins, you have infections, you have allergies, you have stress, you know, and so as those build up, your vessel gets filled up. And as it overflows, when a person first comes to me, and they're overflowing, if I, if I give them a, a questionnaire of symptoms, they can have headaches, they can have stomach aches, they can have post-nasal drip, they can have you know, knee pain, uh, hip pain, chills, fever. If you try and get rid of one of those symptoms by just giving medicine, you're just chasing the symptom. Instead, if you look at it on the overall body, if you detox them and increase their immune system and treat their adrenals, which is your stress gland, and then you get that liquid down in their vesicle, then they go along they feel much better because they're not having their symptoms. You still may have to treat the infection which worsened everything and let everything build up. But if you look at someone like that, you're you're not looking at at them with the premise of old medicine, one disease, one symptom, one medicine. You're looking at them like, what is their body's symptom? telling you that they need yeah that makes sense
0: no it does I mean no I I get it I don't I I have you know now I have lime friends and we treat very differently you know there there's what worked for me didn't work for somebody else like what I have reactions to like I I can't stand Myers uh like the the drip like that always burned my arm and like made me uncomfortable and s- some people swear by that you know, whereas I could take a glutathione push and be fine. Somebody else reacts to that terribly. You know, I liked UVLRX. It didn't work for other people. And I didn't, I didn't take to ozone. You know, I did try as many things as I possibly could to see what worked for me, but my, my path is so different than some of my friends who, who are going through it or who are in it. And I don't, and I'm, I'm lucky enough not to have to have a PIC or a port and a few of my friends with Lyme do and people don't realize that Lyme disease can get that serious where you know you need to have a PIC or port so you're not like doing IVs in your arm all the time and
1: well it's, it's all a matter of degrees you know when you first like I said you have to decide what's going on in a person then exactly. you have to decide what's the best way to treat them so do you have to first treat the gut Do you have to first detox Do you have to treat their immune system do you have to treat their adrenals do they need antibiotics can they go with herbals do they need uh ultraviolet treatment do they need ozone do they need ivs c to build them up and it, and so um like a lot of people want the cookbook they want hey i what do I do, you know, and a lot of times I have to pull people back and say, you know, look, I I have to look at this and decide, you know, according to, you know, my my first visit, you know, what's going on in your body, you know, if I get it. So if I'm looking at someone who is toxic, you know, then I might have to treat the Lyme, which is making them toxic with antibiotics and also Do a detox. If that person's vesicle, like I just told you, is overflowing from being toxic, but the vessel is very weak, if you take that same person and give them high levels of antibiotics, they'll just fall over. And they'll, you know, they'll just. So you have to assess where the person is with what therapies you do and what they need and what they need then and what they need later like that
0: what would you say to somebody who comes in and just doesn't see light at the end of the tunnel like what would you kind of tell them
1: well for you know you 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 know you never give false hope but you also you also I'm always open to being in the question you know like for instance uh, you're talking about the patient who's done a lot of things so when I look at a patient like that I have a talk with them like, and I'll say to them, well, well, this is what we know about your illness. This is a circle. And so the first pie of the circle is what you know. So you went to your primary and you went to the neurologist and you have neuralgia and you went to the rheumatologist and you have fibromyalgia. Then the other pie is what you don't know. And then what I tell them, what's the rest of the circle? And what the rest of the circle is what you don't know that you don't know, the knowing of which could help you. So that's why there's always hope because depending on where they were and what they're doing there's a whole area of what I call being in the question, like what's going on with this person. And if you find that, then you're gonna help them. So then you have to really cut through what what they, the trauma that they've had, maybe even in the healthcare system, that has caused that hopelessness
0: yeah. so
1: you know that you have to do that yeah
0: what about um if you were to like what would you recommend is the best test to get i mean i went i went and got Igenix. ultimately was what i got and i i tested for bartonella babesia i've tested for all of them but that was the test that i took like what is your recommendation for somebody who may or may not know
1: well, you know, like I said again, it's a it's a clinical diagnosis, but the tests support it, and it's always good to have the test because you don't really know if you have a lot of symptoms. You can have multiple infections. You can have, you know, Bartonella, B. Lyme. They're all treated differently. Um, so yeah, so I mean, there's there's different testing out, out there. There's the hospital, like there's a hospital labs, which I find. Uh, a regional and they, and they don't use as many good antigens as Igenix that testing isn't as good. Uh, there's LabCorp and Quest in different commercial labs which I often find to test the negative. And then when I do it with a specialty lab, it's positive. So then, you know, there are a whole bunch of labs. Igenics is one, uh, there is one that I've been using in Europe called uh, Red Labs, which is, has been finding a lot of relapsing femur and Miyamoto, which are, you know, things that have just come out the last couple of years, which some of the regular testing doesn't find very easily. So it, it just, it just matters, you know, and often like, you know, the funny thing is sometimes I'll do a good test like Igenix, and then I'll do something from a galaxy, which is another one for Bartonella, you know, and, Maybe one will be positive for Bartonella, the the other one won't. So it's really, you know, in an ideal world, if you have a really mystery case or hard case, you probably should do all of them. Although what happens is then there's a cost factor because a lot of these labs may not be covered by someone's insurance. So you you have to walk this line of, of, you know, uh, not overburdening the patient with finances, but also doing the best testing that you could possibly get.
0: So let me ask you this. It's not about Lyme, it's about soup. I sent you a box of soups a few weeks ago. Did you enjoy them? They're all organic.
1: Really good, really good.
0: Yeah. (laughs) They're gluten-free, they're dairy-free. I mean, this all stemmed from Lyme disease. My soups all stem from Lyme disease and then being told, by you, by Dr. Obar, to, to change my diet. And um, now I, I, I'm i pushing soups on you. So...
1: That's good. Yeah. I think it's really good for patients because first of all, it's nutritious and also you're a valuable resource. So you could have an add-on add on to the soup, all the information about Lyme disease. That's good.
0: Yeah, we, have, we do have a lot of chronically ill um, patients that come in and I get to talk to them, you know, it's always good to talk to somebody who is kind of in the same boat and you've been through the ringer and, but you also, you also get like a lot of people who have restricted diets that I'm like, Oh my God, I don't know if I could create something like a lot of low FODMAP soups. Um, somebody just emailed me about low oxalate. Like that's a diet now, low oxalate. Have you heard of that?
1: Yeah. You know, actually, I don't, I, I see people who have oxalate problems, that's people who have like really bad fibromyalgia, you know, oxalate crystals cause, they can cause stones, calcium oxalate stones. Um, I think it's much more common in a yeast patient to see that they have high oxalate. So if you get the yeast burden down and put them on a yeast free diet and treat their gut, their oxalates will go down. But if it's, if it's a real oxalate problem, which can be congenital, it can be how your genetics is how you metabolize oxalate. You get too much oxalate.
0: I'm gonna to have to research what I can make, like an asparagus soup. I don't know. I have I have to do my I have to do my due diligence over here.
1: Asparagus is uh, is also good as a prebiotic. Oh really? So somebody who's on a, a a probiotic they need prebiotics because prebiotics are what the uh, probiotics feed on.
0: I was thinking of testing an asparagus dill soup it's two things oh, that people well, let's are hearing. say
1: you should you should make up a um, the things that are high in uh, prebiotics are onions leeks oh we have a potato asparagus, Jerusalem artichoke
0: that i mean that's very specific jerusalem artichoke i'm writing this down
1: yeah i love make, an artichoke. make a sample soup and send it to me i, I will send it
0: Are you kidding? Mm -hmm. Of course I will. When are you coming back to LA, Dr. Bach?
1: I'm trying to arrange it sometime in uh, July or something like that soon. Yeah.
0: I think this is good though. I think that I, um, I like talking to you about Lyme disease because even though like I've read so many articles and I read as much as I can about it, I do think it's important for people to hear you know, from a medical professional versus like what I say to my friends, you know, because sometimes it's hard to believe that people go through, it's a sickness and people are sick. And it's a, it's a hard to believe because the, there's almost like a cloud over Lyme disease. Like it's almost like not, it's a non belief like there's so many non-believers that it's actually a sickness. Like that people actually have ailments from it, that it could be serious, that it could be fatal. Um, and so it's good that I'm talking to you about it because I think that there needs to be more light shed on it. You know what you oh, said
1: oh, sure. uh, uh, from this uh, line X that I was at. That, that's one of the things that came out of it, where it was like, you know, the healthcare system is not listening to patients. They're not, you know, they're they're interested in doing, you know, esoteric research or getting funds, you know, for about tick distribution in the United States, but they're, they're not really doing stuff to help the patient deal with what the ramifications of the illness are.
0: They are saying though, that, you know, a lot of these long haul COVID patients are having similar Oh uh, yeah,
1: that, that is definitely, uh, yeah, no. In other words, I, we talk about that all the time in ILADS when we're with the board meetings and say like, you know, Long haul is they're now accepting is a post COVID thing, but they've been fighting, you know, the sequelae of Lyme for so long. But yeah. now I think this is going to make it much more um, out in the open, you know.
0: I hope so. Because I mean,
1: what happens with COVID is, is very much like Lyme, you know. Yeah.
0: I hope, I mean, obviously, I, I don't wish anybody to have, you know, long haul symptoms with COVID, but it is like when you hear that people are having POTS which is, it's a scary thing to have. You're just like, oh, I, I completely understand that. But a lot of COVID patients are, you know, developing postural or tachycardia. That's scary when you don't know what it is and it's not <laughs> recognized. So um, I do think that maybe that will hopefully shed some light on other autoimmune diseases that, you know, that don't kind of get the recognition that they deserve. So I'm hoping that's the case. Um, but I'm also hoping people stop getting sick. So that would be, that would be the best thing.
1: Yeah. Uh, you know, when, when you're knowledgeable about Lyme and the herxes and the inflammation, you know, that really transposes right to COVID because, you know, the inf- inflammation that they started to see in COVID, we've been dealing with that with Lyme all the time, you yeah. know,
0: well, I know I knew, I know, a thing or two about inflammation. I've got a lot of it. <laughs> um, well, thank you so much for doing this. It's so good oh, to great, see you. Great, yeah. Um, and hopefully I get to see you soon in person. That would okay. be great. great. Um,
1: and and, I, and uh, yeah, try and see if you can make that prebiotic soup, that would be great.
0: I don't know if I wanna cut that many artichokes, but I definitely think I'll try it. No, no Jerusalem,
1: Jerusalem artichokes.
0: Okay. I did write down, I did write down Jerusalem for sure. There's,
1: yeah, that's, yeah, that's much different than an joke.
0: Okay. I didn't know. I didn't know. And now I do, but uh, I'm going to, I'm going to look into it. And as soon as I do, you're the first person I'm going to send it to you.
1: Okay, good.
0: Okay. <laughs> well, thanks, Dr. Bach. I'll see you soon. I'll talk to you soon. Okay. Bye. Okay,
1: bye. Have a great weekend. She Thank was you. a video
0: switcher in TV at the time. Then whoops, suddenly that girl's got line. Her health is back on track because she switched up her diet. And now she's forcing all her friends to try it. Soup switcher from Grace Felipe. Soup switcher, say bye by
1: the bread. If gluten's been a bitch, then